0: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The S&P 500 setting a new intraday high already today. So how far can the rally carry into 2022? We'll ask Strats, Tom Lee. He'll join us in just a few minutes. We'll also, of course, debate it with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Degas Wright, Shannon Sakosha, Joe Terranova, and Pete Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go to the wall first. I'll show you stocks. We did set that new intraday high on the S&P. Santa Claus rally rolls on today. Pretty good day for technology, semis, healthcare, uh, et cetera. It's good to be back with you guys. I missed you last week. I hope everybody had a great holiday. Pete, I'll begin with you uh, since it, uh, okay. from the looks of it, it looks like you still have your holiday outfit on. So what looks good to you
1: today, Pete? <laughs> uh, technology and semiconductors, which it looked, good, looked great last week, and they continue to look great uh, today, Scott. I mean, we are seeing a little bit of activity just about everywhere. We're seeing it on the macro front in, in terms of, the spider calls and looking for more upside there, but we're also seeing it in individual names like Microsoft, where we're seeing some huge option activity in there. AMD ma- monstrous in there as well. And then Nvidia, which occasionally that when that does hit Scott, they come in and size. And that's exactly what we're seeing today. So. Uh, they don't seem to think, when I say they, those that are buying these calls, they don't seem to think that this is something that's going to end today or tomorrow. They're definitely looking out a little bit and expecting this to be a pretty strong week.
0: Do you, do you feel, though, Pete, and I, I asked this, you know, Carl and Kayla and I talked about this earlier in, on Squawk on the Street, yeah. whether this is a last burst into the beginning of the new year before it gets real, before we really start thinking about what uh, a tighter Fed is going to mean for the markets and multiples?
1: I think there's something to that, Scott. I mean, I, I heard you this morning, and I, I totally was shaking my head in agreement. I thought the same thing. It's We are getting a big surge, and I know we're going to have Tom Lee on, but we were talking with him just last week on Thursday. I was talking to Tom, and – he was just explaining a lot of what his opinions were going forward, and, and I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree anymore. I mean, the reality is that I think we're in a very interesting, choppy kind of a market. I mean, just look at just the last week or so, Scott. When we look at the volatility index, for instance, it was trading at 26 a week ago, and we closed out the week under 18. And you look at the 10-year, went from 1.4 or a little less than 1.4 almost to 1.5 in a week. These are big moves. These are things that are happening at a very, very quick pace. So when you look at crude, 67 bucks, and then bounces all the way back near 74. So I think when you see what's going on, the velocity of the markets are still there, but I think the one thing that we've got a little bit of normalcy on right now, volumes, because we were on a pace in December to about 44, 45 million contracts per day, and we got back to more of a normal pace because of the holidays and everything else. Last week, we averaged about 35 million contracts per day. So volumes coming in a little bit, volatility coming in a little bit, and yet we still have some, some at least some signs that people are getting a little bit more bullish, I think, right now.
0: Yeah, Degas, markets ripping, uh, retail sales were great, 10-year can't get over 1.5. The environment reads pretty good if you just look at those three metrics.
2: Well, exactly. And so what we're seeing is that the upside to this market is still pushing through, even with the Omicron variant out there. Uh, you know, One of the things that we saw, and I think all the families out there will see this, is that uh, the Omicron variant... People had to get these PCR tests. They had to get the rapid tests, but people were still trying to connect and get out there into the market. And so we're seeing that this market is going to continue to go up. And that's what we're preparing for in
0: 2022. Yeah, Shannon, um, does this feel like a last burst to you, or, or something that's more sustainable? And we'll, we're certainly going to ask Tom Lee that question. As I mentioned, uh, Funstrat, uh, Tom Lee, he's going to join us in uh, just a few moments. But how would you entertain? that question?
3: Well, I'd love to come on and say that this is absolutely going to continue right through January. But, um, but I have to agree with what you said earlier, Scott. I feel like we're setting ourselves up for, um, you know, this period in the first four to six weeks of the year where investors are going to have to determine which side of the coin they want to be on. And so, you know, we can see big cap you know, tech do well over the course of the next couple of days. Um, we could see some of these, you know, energy with oil moving back up over, over you know, closer to 75. Uh, I continue to look at the first six weeks of the year as being, you know, the decision point for many people in how aggressive the Fed's going to be coupled with the reality of where inflation is going to go. I think actually, you know, Omicron not being maybe quite as severe from a symptom perspective as we thought may help on the supply chain side. And so that may actually mitigate some of the pressure on inflation or the perceived per- Pressure for inflation coming into next year, uh, but I, you know, I think if you look at the two ends of the spectrum, really heavy cyclicals areas like energy and materials, and the other end of the spectrum, which is you know high flying growth names, um, I think if you're out on either end of that spectrum too far, I think you might be in a difficult position over the first six weeks of the of the of the year. And so, a more balanced approach is is where you know we sit today.
0: So, Joe, if I told you—and this is what Dubravko Lakos over at J.P. Morgan is talking about today—if I told you that inflationary pressures were going to normalize, those are his words—that the Omicron variant is going to accelerate the true end of the actual pandemic uh, for COVID nineteen—but then I said, well, you're going to have a, a, a at least baseline more aggressive Fed. Which would you say wins out if you're an investor? The, the first two positives. Or the second, or the last, what is a perceived negative for stocks?
4: Scott, good to see you. The entire scenario is already playing out. Investors are not pulling back because of rising inflation. It's not the 70s. It's not a crisis of confidence. We've already factored in, I suspect, that the outcome for Omicron is going to be ultimately a good one for society. And the Federal Reserve is going to respond to that in a more hawkish capacity. And I think that's why the entire risk profile of the market is changing. It doesn't mean that the market does not continue to move higher because the large composition of that market is mega cap and large cap companies that are uh, distributing significant free cash flow generation and have the strength of the balance sheet. So market's gonna move higher, but the risk profile of the market changes the more speculative areas of the market is not where you want to be. Just look today. Look at the tape. We're talking about all-time record highs for the S&P. Where's your Peloton? Where's your Zoom? Where's your Arc stocks? Where's your small-cap biotech? These are highly speculative components of the market that have worked really well in the last couple of years that's been changing in the month of December. Hedge funds are moving away from those positions. And I would urge viewers, trade up in quality. Do not get tempted by seeing the significant underperformance in these names. It's not where you want to be as the entirety of the scenario that you described initially plays out in the early part
0: of 2022. All right, let's bring in our market headliner now. You know him well, Tom Lee. He's the head of research at Fundstrat. Global Advisors. Tom, it's great to have you back. I appreciate you being with us. I know you're on vacation, so it means even more to us that you made some time out of what is a a hopefully leisurely little end of the year for you. So welcome back.
5: Thank you, Scott. Yeah, it's great
0: to be here, and happy holidays to everybody. And same to you. So let's move beyond just giving you credit and saying you've been right and saying 4,800 is your target, and we're basically there. Let's talk about sustainability. How sustainable is this move, Tom, and for how long?
5: Uh, Scott, as a sort of, let's say, our base case, because I know we're into year-end dynamics and everything is unpredictable, especially COVID, I think the rally we're seeing has a lot of fuel, Um, because we know after Thanksgiving, when Omicron was first reported, that there was widespread panic and hysteria. AAII retail sentiment got to the lowest readings all of 2021. Hedge funds raised more cash and their cash balances reached the highest levels in all of 2021. So there was so much panic following Omicron hitting, people essentially positioned it as if the market was crashing. So I don't think the rally in the last five days has put much cash to work. And I think on balance, Omicron data is going to look better. Uh, Our data scientist, tireless Ken, is actually forecasting the cases to peak in early January. And I think that means the market's already bottomed in,
0: you know, maybe it's 5,000 in early January. Yeah. Then what happens? Because if your scenario plays out and your technicians, uh, scenario plays out, I've got Jay Powell and company to worry about.
5: That's right. Scott, I think 2022 is really treacherous. Um, so, if we are at 5,000 in January, uh, we could be down by June from there. Um, but I do think for the full year next year, it's a double-digit year, uh, partly because you know we're still in a solid expansion. Monetary tightening doesn't kill bull markets, but it creates a lot of volatility in front of it. So I think if, there, if the Fed liftoff is in the summer, by December the markets can look a
0: little bit past that and so I think we're still up 10% for the year. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get beyond, I think 2022 is really treacherous. I mean, that's, that's what's going to be cut, right, and spliced out of this interview. And, and people are going to talk headlines that, you know, Tom Lee thinks you can get out of 21 and into 22 with a bang, but then you could have some real issues. If you think that it's going to be treacherous and once the Fed starts to get a little more aggressive— Let's say by the summer, June, as you say yourself, what kind of pullback do you think we're going to have?
5: Um, Scott, as you know, uh, in the past 12 months, we had four corrections of 4% or more, but every time it felt like the sky was falling. So in 2022, in the first half, I think the possibility of a drawdown close, uh, closer to 10% is probable. Um, And so I think people are going to be in in widespread panic, but that would be a buying opportunity. Um, And then in terms of positioning, I I think that's why FANG is our second favorite sector in in
0: 2022. Interesting. Joe, you have a question for Tom Lee?
4: I do. Tom, you mentioned FANG, and given the uh, significant contribution that it provides, if you are going to have a 10 percent double-digit decline, wouldn't we ultimately have to see uh, the weakness that we have not seen in those mega cap type stocks uh, in the first half of the year?
5: Yeah. Uh, Joe, that's a great question, because, as, yeah, you're right. FANG is, I mean, the market's market is becoming increasingly FANG. Um, you know, tech and com services is more than 40 percent. FANG earnings next year are going to grow 30 percent and PEs fell in 2021. So I, I think P.E. expands next year for FANG and actually P.E. D rates and re-rates every other year. So our base case sort of is FANG's up 30 percent or more. Um, But I think it means that if there's panic around inflation and Fed tightening, the rest of the market takes it on the chin pretty hard. So I I think FANG is pretty solid in the first half, and then
0: everything else looks really shaky. I mean, I go, Tom, to what The Wall Street Journal is talking about today, uh, right along these lines, in fact, you, you've, you've set us up perfectly for it, as Joe has with his question to you. Gigantic stocks are a reason to worry, the journal writes. Quote, owning any company that is mushroomed in value means it is hard for it to outperform for much longer without getting uncomfortably large. Investors increasingly feel safe putting their money to work in those recent winners, Even if they are wonderful businesses, that can leave them overvalued. I mean, that is the key risk. What looks to be the most attractive if not the most defensive, in an uneasy sea, and it's a port yeah. in that storm. At some point, even those get overvalued and, and overextended, don't they? Uh, they do, Scott.
5: I just think one of the dynamics in 2022 is if if inflation anchoring is taking place in the market. So let's say investors think inflation, and I agree with Dubrovko, it's actually transitory, but I think that the the contemporaneous numbers are going to be big. It's, investors are going to realize bonds are guaranteed to lose money. You know, one of our themes is guaranteed, Tina, that you're guaranteed to lose money on credit, every high yield bond, every investment grade bond, every ten year. And so, that would make equities your only safe haven if you thought there was inflation and the Fed tightening. And so, I think Fang holds up because you know the earnings and free cash yields and even the dividend yields are so big in these things. You're better off owning
0: that than owning a ten year bond. Interesting. Shannon, you have a question for Tom, and then Pete, I know you do as well, but Shannon, you first.
3: Thanks. Hi, Tom. Happy holidays. So when we Happy talk holidays. about, you know, FANG as, as your second top sector, you've made a lot of really good calls on energy this past year. And how do you see that, especially with the potential for moderating inflation? What does is, what is the outlook for energy and materials look for next year?
5: Hi, Shannon. Yeah, energy is our top pick. Um, I know it was the best performing sector in 2021 uh, with almost a 50% gain, but we think energy stocks could produce similar gains next year, mainly because oil structural deficit, you know, the supply versus demand gap is actually going to get bigger in 2022. So I think the market can no longer ignore that oil has price support, could get into the hundreds at the same time that, as you know, jaw by policymakers might tank oil for a week, but at the end of the day, it's supply and demand that's helping set the price. So I think energy stocks, which are under-owned and they're better managed, they're producing a lot of cash flow, and now they're cheap relative to oil. I mean, that's three strong reasons for them to
0: really shine next
5: year and I think outperform FANG.
0: That's yeah, an interesting call um, to be able to back up the kind of year that they have uh, have had. We'll see. Pete,
1: so, Tom, here's my question for you. I know you, everybody used the expression FANG, but are we talking more than FANG? Are we talking about mega cap tech? And if so, are we also including the subsector of the semiconductors that have had an unbelievable run of late? Um, are those included in what you're talking about in terms of second half and some of the, the performance that we would see? Yeah, absolutely,
5: Pete. Um, yeah, FANG, I think, is a is better to, word to describe like a type of company, which is a company that has a very high Herfindahl index, you know, large market share has proven that they don't have to worry about pricing. Their end markets are growing. It describes FANG. It's now describing a lot of semis, as you said. It includes companies like NVIDIA. Um, So I think FANG is a characteristic of some of the best American companies. I mean, at the end of the day, we have to remember, uh, you know, US FANG, and US tech leaders, I mean, they're pretty scarce in the world. You, You can go into any other country, you don't find companies like this. So I do think a part, you know, an alternative, Tina, is
0: that, um, you know, the U.S. stock market's really the safest place to be. Hey, Tom, let me ask you this. I mean, we basically, let's just say since '09, we've had the easiest money policy from the Fed of, of any of our lifetimes. I, th- I think we can make that statement or, or certainly uh, close to it. Can we say that the best days of equity returns for investors are behind us at this point? If you think that it's going to be tumultuous next year because the Fed's going to be changing its policy and we may only get a 10 percent rise in the S&P. And then if you figure the the Fed is only going to get tighter from there, right, they're going to have to try and fully normalize policy at, at some point, theoretically. Doesn't that make it much harder for years to come to come by the returns that we've grown so accustomed to over the last decade at least? Scott, uh,
5: yeah, I, I'll agree, because I, I might just make an observation that since 09, uh, we all know that more than half the return has come from multiple expansion or the PE expanding, whereas S P earnings growth uh, has actually been held back because of lack of inflation. Uh, you know, nominal inflation picking up actually has a three or four beta to earnings growth. So the next 10 years, to me, we get less boost from PE expansion. But I think the millennial tailwind, and we've written about it extensively because the number of people age 30 to 50 in America is actually starting to really accelerate, similar to the 80s and into the 90s. I mean, that to me spells that earnings growth probably is structurally stronger. I I think it's a possibility that that we could compound S&P at 20% in the next 10 years. So it could actually be better
0: than 09 but it won't be P.E. It mm. actually has to be coming from earnings. Tom, I'm gonna let you run uh, again. I, I know you're on holiday and I, I do appreciate your time making some for us. I wish you a happy, healthy new year and many visits with us uh, in 22.
5: Yeah, thanks to you guys. Wish you the same and also to all the viewers.
0: All right. Thanks. That's Tom Lee, uh, FundScrat's head of research. Uh, Degas, what do you make of what you heard from Tom Lee?
2: Yeah, you know, I agree with Tom. I think what we're positioning, as he laid out, is that the Omicron is not as bad as we thought. Uh, it, it's not like it's going to be a path, pathogenic impact. So it's going to continue to push markets. We're still seeing the growth of the uh, earnings multiple, as he pointed out. And we're seeing that quality tech is still the place you want to be. So I agree with uh, uh, Tom on this one. And uh, we're actually positioning our portfolio in line with what he indicated. Also, the growth uh, or the opportunity in health care is another growth area that's going to do very well into 2022.
0: Shannon, the money line, as I focused on with Tom after he said it, is I think 2022 is really treacherous. Is that is that how you feel that, you know, once the Fed starts to get in the game, that it's going to be a much more Difficult environment to make money. Now, there are many people, by the way, I'm, I'm looking at my Twitter feed as we're having this conversation and the, the notion that Tom Lee says you can only get 10 percent out, out of the S&P is, you know, there's a connotation that that's a negative uh, year uh, it's a, relative to what we're having this year. Certainly negative. But how does that sound to you?
3: So I, I would I would argue that when you think about the word treacherous, and I think you know what the way that I took that statement was thinking about, you know, where you want to be positioned and perhaps that you may need to be positioned differently in the first half of year of the year versus the second half of the year, which I very much agree with. But we've talked about this on the show the last couple of weeks in particular, Scott. It's been a little treacherous under the surface this year too. I mean, there's a lot of stocks that haven't performed and yet the benchmark has done really well. So I think, again, looking at it from the perspective of can you continue to maintain the same positioning in 2022 that you did in 2021 and yield the same results? Likely no. And that inflection point, I think, is where we're going to hit that treacherous point when folks aren't exactly sure when to make that switch. And to Joe's point earlier, that's why you don't want to be too far out on the ends of the spectrum. I loop energy and materials into that as well. But I think that's where, how I view that term treacherous.
0: Yeah. I, and, and I know everybody's thinking about what 2022, Joe, is going to hold for tech um, because the concentration in mega cap tech, as we discussed, some of the other names that have gotten really obliterated, the high multiple stocks or no multiple, as Pete likes to refer to them. I want you to listen to Gene Munster, <laughs> you know, the, the one time tech analyst, now venture capitalist. I want. Sorry. Oh, well, OK, we don't have the sound, uh, I'm told, but let me just paraphrase to you, or at least quote you, if I can, the best that I can on on what he said. uh, Pete, investors in big tech should enter 2022 with a healthy dose of caution. I'm more in the camp to brace yourself in big tech for at least the first three months of the year. So that's Gene Munster, uh, Loop founder, managing partner. What do you think of that?
1: Well, I think what uh, Gene's probably alluding to there is is sort of what Tom's talking about, which is we're going to probably see some volatility and some pressure on the markets after this un- unbelievable run in 21. So to start off 22, tumultuous, yeah, uh, that, that actually is a probably a pretty accurate description. And as we've seen in the past, Scott, when eventually, as they're starting to sell and the selling accelerates, we did start to see some of those big cap names start to move a little bit to the downside, right? We saw Microsoft pull all the way back much lower than it is right now as a matter of fact and Apple and all those names Facebook you can go through the list all of them did pull back to some degree so I think that you still have to be very selective and when you want to start acquiring some of these names and if you believe in what Tom's talking about and I do and you see some pressure on the markets like Gene's probably alluding to I think that's why you're looking for the opportunity in the first three months maybe even the first six months of the year when you see some of these stocks getting sold off to the downside They're obviously on your list. We talk about having shopping lists all the time. You're looking for those names that you really like, that you think are the quality names that can survive and grow in a very difficult market. And I think that there's going to create some opportunities along the way.
0: Joe, let's say you have to be more selective. And let's take MegaCap Tech as the area specifically that we're talking to. And you have to be more selective. You can't just say, well, I like the fangs." And I point out to you that Alphabet was the uh, top-performing big tech stock of the year, up 68%. Now, Microsoft at 50%, obviously had a great year. Anybody would take Apple's 33% on the year or Facebook's 23%. All those are fine. But if I had to be Mm -hmm. super selective, where would I go? Would I stay Mm -hmm. with an Alphabet, which you own, along with Apple and Microsoft and NVIDIA as well? But how Mm -hmm. do you answer that question?
4: I answer that question by looking for an edge. And when I say looking for an edge, it's understanding that in 2021, we had the best risk-adjusted return for the S&P since 1990. We're not going to have that moving forward in 2022. We're going to have more volatility. Tom has told you that. Specifically for the fangs. what's my edge? My edge is the capital allocation strategy. If you look at Alphabet, the reason that Alphabet has had such a dramatic catch-up in terms of its performance relative to Apple, relative to Amazon, relative to Microsoft, is it has embraced the Apple model of a share buyback that is beyond street expectations. Over $50 billion so far in 2021. So your edge is these mega cap companies that are committing to return capital to shareholders. And Scott, I wonder, maybe in the case of Amazon, that's why it's underperformed in 2021 relative, because it does not have the strength and the edge that it provides the investor with that capital allocation strategy. So that's what I'm looking towards in 2022, and it's not going to change my positioning. I'm going to be there with Microsoft. I'm going to be there with Alphabet. I'm going to be there with Apple because they're going to do me right in terms of buying back their stock.
0: All right, we're going to have more stock picks for you coming up because straight ahead, our Stock Summit returns. You remember at the middle of the year, June or July, we asked everybody to give us a few picks for the second half of the year. Well, now is the time that we break out the scorecards. We're gonna go through the hits and the misses. We're back in two minutes.
6: Welcome back, I'm Rahel Solomon and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. For the first time, France has reported more than 100,000 new COVID cases in a single day. The Prime Minister of France is scheduled to hold a news conference on new COVID measures in the next hour. Meanwhile, Britain's government says that it will not introduce any new COVID restrictions for England before the new year. An Israeli hospital is testing the efficacy of giving people a fourth dose of COVID vaccine that's after a government panel recommended another round of shots for some high-risk groups. Israel is also reducing the recommended time before getting a first COVID booster shot to three months from five. And on the news tonight, dealing with flight cancellations as COVID cases rise, what you can do tonight at 7 Eastern. And it may be a while before a verdict is reached at the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. Jurors have returned from the long weekend and have requested a whiteboard and sticky notes in different colors. Maxwell is charged with recruiting and grooming teenagers as young as 14 to be sexually assaulted by Jeffrey Epstein. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. I
0: right, appreciate that, Rahel. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right. With only a few trading days left in 2021, we're reviewing the investment committee's top second half picks from our stock summit back in June. Here's what our investment committee said roughly six months ago.
4: It gets above 135, which is like 2 percent more. This horse is going to run.
6: Coinbase is not directionally dependent. They need volatility as people are making transactions.
4: The Nasdaq, he began the show. Talking about the inflows of capital, we have engagement now from investors, traders, speculators.
6: As oil prices continue to recover, their free cash flow will recover as well. They'll be able to continue to pay down debt. The
4: gem here is Instagram, so I think you've got a lot more opportunity into Facebook uh, versus some of the other
1: things. With the reopening and more people going out, you know, that kind of plays into what Match does, right, Scott? So I think that that one will do very well. I think the stock's going
2: to have a great second half. I'm invested in this one personally.
7: This is a stock that has a huge
1: runway and an inflation hedge as well. I like the fact that they made that huge acquisition of LinkedIn. That's starting to becoming a huge revenue stream as well.
7: stock is cheap. It's 10 times earnings. Um... So we still think there is opportunity here.
1: It's not going to double. It's
2: going to triple. It's going to quadruple, maybe more. They have surprise on the upside, about 20
0: percent. And we see positive earnings growth going forward. You have a utility converting from coal to green. You've got very strong cash flow. And that story is not has not ended. All right. Some pretty good hits, of course. Uh, Some misses, too. No doubt. But, uh, Joe, let's begin with you. So back on our stock summit on June 21st. You picked UPS, you picked Fortinet, you picked the NASDAQ, and you said to be diversified. Now, UPS, you never owned it, okay? It was up 5%. So we can skip that in terms of talking about it for the moment. Fortinet, however, which you do own, is up 54% since June 21st of 2021. My question to you is, what do you do with it now? And if people followed you into it because you picked it six months ago, what should they do with it today?
4: So I think the upcoming earnings report for this company is going to be very important. You want to understand if they're maintaining the type of revenue growth. You want to understand if they're continuing to uh, grab the market share in cybersecurity that they've been blessed with here over the last year. It's been a fantastic run. The valuation is getting a little bit rich. And I would tell you that I probably would not reach for this stock right here. I also own CrowdStrike to get exposure to cybersecurity. So I'd be careful. I'd be cautious. I would wait and see what earnings are. And if there's an earnings disappointment, you probably want to pare back some of your position.
0: What do you do with the Nasdaq up 16 percent? By the way, you never owned the Nasdaq either. You recommended the stock to our viewers as part of our summit, but you never actually owned it personally. I guess I wish you probably wish you did. It's up 16 percent in the last six months. But what about that stock here?
4: Yeah. Listen, I apologize for always having to to kind of reiterate this, but I obviously indirectly own it in the Joe ETF. It's been there throughout. I'm a big believer in the exchanges. Personally, I chose interactive brokers over the NASDAQ just because of the exposure to cryptos in interactive brokers. But I think the NASDAQ is just a fantastic way, as are all the exchanges, to gain exposure to the increased interest In equities, in options, in futures, in crypto assets, there's engagement, there's passion, it's real. The management of assets is not going away. I've talked about that via Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley owning both of those. That continues in 2022. Uh, The Nasdaq is a name that certainly, if you don't own it, it's a name along with the CME, the ICE, and uh, Interactive Brokers that I would be looking at for ownership.
0: All right, Pete, let's switch to you. Um, Everybody, I think at this point, knows how much you like Microsoft. Uh, And and you talked about it earlier today and some of the positive call buying that you saw in that stock. I guess what I want to know from you, what led you to believe that as good of a year as Microsoft was already having, that it still had close to 30 percent upside left in it over the final six months of the year?
1: I think it really came down to the the, the fact that, you know, the, what I like about Satya Nadella is he never rests. This guy's always looking ahead, right? And so they, they continue to make acquisitions, something that Microsoft has done a really great job with in the acquisitions and actually getting those acquisitions to fit into their company very, very nicely. I think the combination of that and... They are stealing market share. They're getting market share. It might not always be from Amazon, but they are absolutely in the cloud gaining market share. I think they just seem to be just this well-oiled machine. And, yes, I do see the P.E. I do see that it's a little bit stretched from what we've seen in the past and what what Microsoft has has been historically, I still think there's room to the upside. And I think this is exactly the kind of name that Tom Lee's describing when he's talking about, wait, you know, you look at these PEs, you might feel a little bit nervous, but these are companies that absolutely can fulfill everything you're looking for. So I continue to hold this name. I've basically owned it since Satya took over, and I'll continue to own it.
0: And I I guess you could say... uh... You know, the same thing about Target. Just substitute Brian Cornell's name in there. I know people know how much you like this <laughs> stock and how long you've owned it. Yeah. What? And I'm being serious. Mm-hmm. Um, what hasn't yeah. gone right in the second half for Target? Down 6.5% since you made the pick. And I should let mm-hmm. our viewers know as right. well today that you bought more of it uh, as, as a new yeah. buy.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, I can't explain other than... Sometimes, you know, we all know this, that there are stocks that people have had a great run in, Scott, and they decided that they want to take some profits, right? This is a stock that got all the way up to what? I think like 279 or something like that. I mean, it had an absolutely explosive move to the upside, and now it's pulled back, of course, during this last couple of months it's been it's been some selling pressure I was just looking at it and I said you know looking at this stock and the sell-off that it's made it seems to me when you're looking at a PE that's somewhere call it 16 to 18 and you look at what the S&P's PE is and you look at the growth 2021 Scott $15 billion in sales growth. I mean, that's a monstrous number. As a matter of fact, that number actually dwarfs what they've done over the last decade. So it gives you a little bit of idea of, of the growth that they've been able to grab, what they're doing in terms of digital, which has been absolutely a monster for them over the last couple of years. But specifically, again, this year, they continue to grow. I think they're executing just fine. I think a lot of the time we, we see these pauses. We saw pauses for a while in Apple, and then it started to make that run again. I feel that's the same case here. Mm-hmm. And when I look at that P.E., it's just too low right now. So I think this is a stock that easily can reach back up to where it hit the highs and may- maybe a little bit more than that.
0: Your sector was healthcare, care, uh, which is the fourth best mm-hmm. since. Uh, should also note that it hit a new intraday high today. Uh, so that turned out to be a good pick, too. Digas, I turn to you. Mixed bag. Uh, best buy down double digits since you picked it on June 22nd. Uh, then you've got CSX, which is up 16.5% since. Discretionary, up 15%. That's the second best sector since then. Which one do you want to talk about?
2: Well, okay, so I'll, I'll go ahead and pick uh, Best Buy since that's the one that went down. Um, and so what occurred is that the fourth quarter was seen as soft. And so the outlook was soft for fourth quarter, but it still beat earnings by 7% during the quarterly uh, announcement. It had... Uh, Operating uh, expenses went up due to advertising, tech. Also, it's being impacted by the supply chain. But let's look at the business model for Best Buy, and that's why it's still a buy, in that they recently acquired current healthcare, and they have uh, a unit called Best Buy Health, focused on senior care, telemedicine, and technology. This is a growth area, and we still see Best Buy, as favorable valuation, top decile profitability, strong earnings and revenues going forward, and sound sustainability. As you talked about uh, CXX, the railroad, it's benefiting from the infrastructure. It's benefiting from supply chain because it is the leading way of getting goods to you uh, over over the rail lines. And so we see that as a positive with
0: 8% uh, earnings growth And so we still see that as a buy. And uh, I should note, you own uh, all three stocks still. Best Buy, MetLife, CSX, uh, Discretionary again. Your pick there. Degas is busy, by the way. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. He's got some new buys uh, that we need to discuss and some new sells. Do it next. mentioned before the break, Degas is a busy man. He's selling a few things, buying a few things. Degas, Barclays, why would you sell it? Yes, Barclays. Yeah, so we, we looked at Barclays,
2: and what we found is that it's, loan is, uh, is, is actually slowing, and it's really tied to, uh, that may be connected with Brexit, in that the loan business is, is slowing, and when that happens, that has an impact on the return on equity. And so we see the return on equity for uh, Barclays at around 8%. Industry is usually around 10. So this is one of the companies that had a, slow, a lower outlook. And so we decided to sell Barclays. Now, this is part of our American Depository Receipts international strategy. So this gives uh, investors a way of getting exposure to the international market. And we saw some better opportunities relative to Barclays.
0: So you also sold Rogers Communication.
2: Right. We sell Rogers communication. It's getting, uh, it's a very competitive market in the telecom space. There's several other Canadian-based telecoms that are doing quite well. And we decided to hold those and actually sell Rogers. Also, Rogers is being impacted by Netflix. Uh, The streaming business is really starting to impact uh, Rogers communication. And this allows us to go into some other companies that are very attractive, such as German-based SAP. SAP, if you think about the enterprise uh, planning software, enterprise resource planning software, it ties everything together for a corporation, from its financials, to its human resources, to its operations. And what they're moving to is they're moving away from it being a package to more of a software as a service going to the cloud. And so we're seeing a lot of growth in SAP, German-based company. Then we also looked at some other companies that are very attractive as it relates to Sony. Sony uh, is in Japan. It's a, uh, the electronic gaming company. It's also it's a semiconductor company. It's partnered with Microsoft, and they put together uh, a lot of the uh, smart technology for cameras and also for the uh, video. And so once again, Sony is still a very strong company. And the last company that we purchased was ICICI, the leading bank in India. And it's growing by the loan business is growing by 20% over the last three years. It has a return on equity of about almost 12% compared to the average being around 10%. Once again, a great international company own.
0: All right, good stuff. For more ideas on where you can put money in 2022. Be sure to catch CNBC's special report. It's tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern, for all of Wall Street's top picks heading into the new year. There it is, uh, Your Money 2022, hosted by Wilford Frost. That's tonight, 6 p.m. Straight ahead right here, Pete has unusual activity. We'll be right back. All right, Mr. Pete Nigerian, unusual activity. What do you have today for us?
1: Well I'm going to start off with online 3D gaming Scott we're going to do Roblox now this one's pretty interesting because it's trading just underneath at the time that they bought the calls it was trading just underneath 106 it's now above 106 but. Buying December 31st expiring calls. These are 6,500 of the 115 calls. So essentially looking for this week, this week's got to perform, and it's got to make a pretty substantial move to the upside. They started off at about 50 cents. They went all the way up to about 85 cents for these calls. So not a lot of money, but the stock's going to have to make a pretty significant move very, very rapidly. Secondly, I've got Facebook. Now, what I see with Facebook is exactly what I mentioned at the top of the show. We saw the, the, the call buying in NVIDIA, monstrous. We saw call buying in AMD, huge. We saw Microsoft. Well, now we're actually seeing Facebook as well. Facebook, 27,000 of December 31st, which is Friday, 360 calls, going 26 cents all the way up to $1.50. So a lot of activity in these big cap techs that we were just talking about earlier with Tom Lee, and they're looking for this week for a very, very explosive move across the board.
0: Wow. Yeah. Look at that move in, uh, in Facebook, a decline, and then comes right back. Pete, thank you. Straight ahead, it's been a record year for IPOs. Returns, though, they're at their worst levels in a decade. We're looking at what's in store for the new year next. Been one of the busiest and worst performing years for IPOs. Our Leslie Picker joining us with what all that means for the playbook for 2022. I mean, the numbers are <laughs> astounding. The number of IPOs that we had this year. And then the way the, uh, the, that SPACs factor in so heavily to that, too.
7: Yeah, and you wouldn't think those two things go together, the fact that there's been this record issuance as well as underperformance. But to your point, Scott, this year was one for the IPO record books companies and SPACs, raising $318 billion, the largest figure ever, even after adjusting for inflation. While investors were receptive to new listings, on average, their debuts popped 22%. Since then, the market has shunned them. The mean performance for companies that went public this year, not including SPACs, is negative 11 percent. Only 22 percent of new listings this year were profitable, so the market sold them off, along with other high-growth, money-losing stocks amid a shift in Fed policy that could mean higher interest rates next year. A weighted basket of 2021 IPOs produced returns of negative negative 3.7 percent in a year where the Nasdaq is up 23 percent. That dramatic performance doesn't bode well for companies in the pipeline for 2022, since harder to coax investors to put more capital into an area that's been a negative source of alpha in 2021. So capital markets experts I've spoken with say next year's deals will be all about return to fundamentals. Tech and biotech still will play a big role here as they have for decades, but you can expect to see more sponsor-backed industrials and financials, usually slower growers, but ones with profits come to market. Now, It's unlikely that we do match this year's record issuance. SPACs, or special purpose acquisition companies, are unlikely to help push next year's numbers into record territory. Sources say that the nearly 500 SPACs still searching for a merger target could dissuade additional vehicles from raising capital. And they're expecting regulation from the SEC that may clarify rules surrounding compensation, conflicts of interest, and liability. But, Scott, that may not mean we see more activity on the SPAC front.
0: Yeah. Maybe a different kind of market, too, Mm -hmm. Leslie. You have to think that could factor into that as well. Different picture on interest rates and and the Fed and maybe more volatility in the overall market, right?
7: That's right. Those pre-revenue companies that have been able to go public via SPAC this year may have a little bit more trouble next year when people are much more focused on that F word that I mentioned, the fundamentals.
0: Yes, the fundamentals. All right, Leslie Picker, thank you so much. Following the money, as always. We have final trades next. All right, guys, names only. Degas, you're first. United Health. All right, Shannon.
3: United Rentals.
0: Joe. Cisco. Pete. AMD. All right, good stuff, everybody. Again, Dow highs of the day, 232. New intraday high for the S&P 500 does it for the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.